All right. Let's, I've been forgetting to say the blessing for studying Torah. Let's say the blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav B'tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Amen. Which means, blessed are you, source of life, who has commanded us to engage with the words of the Torah. That's the blessing for Torah study. This portion is Va'era. Um, you, it begins, it's Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. It begins on page 382 in our Chumash, uh, 382. We're going to be moving around a lot with the text today, but that's where it starts. So we call, we're calling our, our theme this year the shadow side of Torah, and I thought, okay, what's the part that we always seems to be the dark side of this story of the plagues and the exit from Egypt? And certainly what comes up the most in conversations over the years is, why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Right? I have fielded that question eight million times. What kind of God is this that hardens Pharaoh's heart to make it work, blah, blah, blah? Okay. Uh, and that, so I wanted to, I wanted to dig into this uh, question. We won't necessarily answer it, but there will actually be many, many paths to follow to explore that dark question. Uh, one of our bat mitzvah girls last year had this portion, and uh, no, actually, her bat mitzvah happened at, right at Passover, and that's why she addressed this story. Hi. That was Maple Lobe. And uh, um, I, 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 told, I told Maple that, that she gets to argue with the text if she wants to and argue with God. That's the whole idea. And being a contrarian sort, she felt very liberated <laughs> and yes. di- took God to task for not like trying to talk to Pharaoh or find another way to do this. It was really a good talk. It was really a good talk. I, I was proud of her. I was proud of myself, too. Um, okay. So, first of all, I went through the portion, and Pharaoh's heart is discussed as being hard, in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18 different places. As it happens. <laughs> Unless I missed one, but I think I got them all. And uh, <clears throat> the, one of the first things to know is that there are three different terms for Pharaoh's hardened heart. The first one is when God says uh, in chapter 7, which you can find just by turning the page, verse 3, that's on page 384. Va'ani akshah et lev paro. I will make Pharaoh's heart kasheh. 
Okay, now that literally means kashe, hard. That literally means hard. Physically hard. Mm hmm. Kashe. Like hard firm. Hmm? Hard firm. Yeah. Firm. Yeah. Firm. Yeah. Um, but a kushia in Hebrew is a difficult question, a hard question. That's so, uh, also, that's what. It could be hard to do, but when. Um, when uh, the Israelites are described as stiff-necked, the word is kshe oref. So kashe means both difficult and it means dense, hard, immovable, you know, dense. Uh, so that's the first. So Pharaoh's heart is kashe. That's a, that's a real description of... Um, uh, um, of uh, hardening of the arteries, right? Yeah. You know, when you can't, when yeah. that's another way of thinking about it. And it's already hard. It's not, nobody's making it hard. Um, it says, he, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Oh, okay. We'll look at those lines. But the later usages, kashe isn't repeated. There are two phrases that are repeated. Look in verse 13 of <clears throat> Whoops. Uh, yes. Um, 385, uh, page, verse 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart stiffened. There, look at the Hebrew in 13. Yechezak. Strong. Chazak. Strong. Yechezak. Hachazik is to grip. So Yechezak is either Pharaoh's heart was made strong or was. Because Eitz Chaim He La Machazikim Bo the the Torah is a tree of life for them that grasp it. So so Chazak is strong, um, but Lachzik is to grip. So maybe a good translation was Pharaoh's heart was gripped. And here's the other key word. Hi. Are you all? Do you all find where I am on three eighty five? Because the rest of this phrase is part of the um, is a is a a um, a theme that you're going to hear over and over in the course of the plagues. It says Pharaoh's heart was chazak was was gripped, stiffened was the word they used. Velo shama alehem. Okay, so the word I want you to remember is. And he couldn't shama. What shama? Hear. He couldn't listen. Hear them. He couldn't listen to them. So we have a very familiar pathology here. Right? Pharaoh is an archetype. Pharaoh represents the archetype of when anyone is, their heart is gripped and they cannot listen. That's it. It doesn't say. Cannot they cannot listen or they will not listen. Ah, I, I refuse to listen because the word me'en is used, which means refuse. Pharaoh refused to listen. Also is used in here. But is it? Uh, he could not listen, or he would not listen. And I will propose to you that um, at some point, a pharaoh. Choosing not to listen, 
he becomes incapable of it, right? The condition overtakes him. Uh, uh, but, so this phrase gets repeated over and over, Pharaoh's heart stiffened and he did not listen to them or he could not listen to them, or he would not listen to them. Kasher di as the Eternal had said, would happen. Yes? I, I do wonder. Good. I wonder. Um, why God, I mean, it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and marvels in the land of Egypt. God did not really need to do that just to show his power. Huh. So, like, why God we... didn't need to multiply his signs and wonders and Egypt to show his power. So, wh- I don't so know. why? Yes, that is the question we're going to explore today. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly the question that troubles people. And since this is the call, we're calling it the shadow side of Torah, why not spend a couple hours uh, digging in? But let me continue to prepare the ground for that. Sure. Uh, so the other word used for hardening Pharaoh's hearts in verse 14. By Yomer Adonai El Moshe, and the Yodhei he said to Moses, Kaved Lev Paro. What's Kaved? Hmm? Honor or? No, not, not difficult. Kaved is respect or honor, like Kavod. Kaved means heavy. Also, interestingly, the same word in Hebrew for honor, kavod, kavod. is kaved, which means weighty or heavy. Um, as it happens, the Hebrew word for your liver, the ancient word, is kaved. And that kind of makes sense, given it's the largest and like heaviest organ, I wonder. I don't know if that's why it's called a kaved in Hebrew, um, and God's kavod, when it says, Baruch kavod Adonai mim komo, may God's glory emanate forever and ever, but, you know, Baruch Shem kavod Adonai, may God's glory emanates forever and ever. So, I've looked for a good English word for the kavod of royalty. I thought of the word gravitas, as maybe an English translation that would convey both the kind of the honor and the weightiness of, I don't know, I'm just letting you know that I've been looking for a good English word for that. Uh, but what happens to Pharaoh's heart? It's been kashe, which means hardened. It's been lahachazik, uh, which means gripped. Uh, or uh, constricted. Hmm? constricted. Constricted. That's good. Yachazik, because yachazik means to grip. So a function of gripping is constriction. Could be, and it's kaved. It's heavy. And it makes me start to feel sorry for this person. Right. Who is carrying around this. I feel sorry for this person too, except when they get into positions of power. Right. And authority. No, right? That's the problem. And refuse to listen. And refuse or, in fact, and refuse to listen. Incapable of, refuse to. um, And yes, 
But if it's some, if it's some, you know, uh, miskite, you know, some unfortunate, <laughs> some unfortunate person who's saddled with this, and then I always and have for many years thought of someone in the grip of an addiction, you know, who is, is unable, <coughs> unable, you know, the poor person. However, they but cause a lot of damage. You cannot, yeah, you hmm? cannot condone the behavior. Can't condone the behavior, but yes, I do feel sympathy for someone who's heavy-hearted. Heavy-hearted. Heavy-hearted is would be the translation I would think of for kaved lev. In English, you'd say heavy-hearted. Oh man. So is, is this the word that's translated here as stubborn in my book? Um, yes. Or hardened. Stubborn in verse fourteen. In verse 14, uh -huh, right. kaved is stubborn. That's a good translation. Mm -hmm. are, are you comfortable saying heavy-hearted is a, is a definition for you? Not really. Not in its connotation in English. Me neither. Because I think, of, you know, I'm not sure that Saddam Hussein was heavy-hearted at all. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I think he may have been very light. <laughs> right. So, so kaved has some other Hebrew meaning that won't quite make it as heavy in English, even though it's what it means also in English. Kavet is the opposite of light, of, of you know, in so terms lacks of... lacks agility, in a way. Lacks agility. Mm-hmm. Stubborn is good. Gail? It seems like the essence of Mitzrayim. You know, the essence of Mitzrayim. Okay? Mitzrayim, just so for the people who don't know, Mitzrayim is the Hebrew name for Egypt. And it comes from the, its origin seems to be a geographical description of ancient Egypt, which is long and narrow. The Nile Valley, that's what was Egypt. The Nile, that, and so Metzarim in Hebrew means straits, S-T-R-A-I-T-S. Uh, Metzar is constriction. Comes from the same root as Tsuris. Everybody, uh, more or less. Tsar was Tsar is with an ayin, but Tsar, Kol Haolam Kulo Gesher Tsar Maod. We sing it. The entire world is a very narrow bridge. So, Gail, go on. Repeat yourself, please. Oh, just that it seems to me his heart as Pharaoh, who is the ruler and the epitome of Egypt, of Mitzrayim, he. This is about being in Mitzrayim, the place of narrowness, of mm -hmm. restriction, where you can't get out. That's right, where you can't, that's right. <clears throat> the Jewish spiritual tradition understands the Torah as being a map of our own soul journey. So the physical place of Mitzrayim in the narrative is the place of constriction and tightness. And uh, hold on one second, Barb, I want to say something else about this. Um, in fact, uh, uh, I was reading an analogy, one of the analogies given to God taking the children of Israel out of Egypt is God uh, actually birthing the Egyptians out of the constricted place. Mm -hmm. that the Egyptians? The uh, Israelites. And that the Red Sea in its parting then becomes the birth canal that opens up. I'm not making this up. This is like old stuff because God's, and interesting, God's birthing of, and since midwives are such a big part of 
the Exodus story, and I've been thinking about that since last week. God is midwife. This is a forceps birth. Oh. Right? That's not my analogy. I was reading that in the Midrash of Aviva Zornberg. When you think about it, not a... Um, I mean, birth is always an intense and even violent experience. Uh, but then there's the time when the midwife has to go in, or the, 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 the doctor has to go in with a forceps, and there's damage done, you know, because why? Because did the Israelites want to leave? No. no, they wouldn't listen to Moses either. Do you remember? Well, we're going to read that. Pharaoh won't listen to Moses. <laughs> the Israelites won't listen to Moses. Um, and uh, so this birthing metaphor gets extended to be a, 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 a sort of mm, where the, the baby has to be removed by God with tongs, you know, out of the, uh, as it gets called in Deuteronomy, the, the blast furnace of Egypt. Mm. Um, and again, I'm echoing stuff I've read in Aviva Zornberg's beautiful uh, chapter that I was reading before. Wow. Wow. So we're in a tight, constricted place. Hearts are, are asifa, are, are, what's the, sclerotic, and um, uh, stubborn and gripped. That is the status. And in that status, lo shama, you can't listen. Mm. And the main directive of Judaism, mm. the mm. prime directive, mm. listen, so that you can respond, right? The Hebrew word respond is tshuva. So, the, so if you are, if you consider yourself immovable, then not only you're not going to listen, but you won't be able to respond. Mm. And so Pharaoh becomes that. That. Uh, so then it goes on. Interestingly, and we won't look at all the citations, but as each play goes by, there's a refrain. Um, uh, oh, okay, sorry, look back at verse 14 where we were just looking, because I said, kaved lev paro, Pharaoh is stubborn, Pharaoh's heart is kaved, me'en l'shalach ha'am, he refuses to let the people go. So that's where the, the word refuse, that Pharaoh refuses, comes up numbers of times. As, as the refrain of this tale also. And then we'll hear over and over again, say, let's look at one more on uh, the next page, verse 22. This is after the plague of blood. But when the Egyptian magicians did the same with their spells, do you remember the first plague the magi magicians managed to replicate. And, uh, for, you know, the Nile turns to blood, and then the magicians managed to replicate it and turn water to blood. And so when the Egyptian magicians did the same with their spells, Pharaoh's heart stiffened. Yechezak, in this case, Yechezak is the word, uh, 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 gripped. And he did not... Velo shama alehem. 
Mm. He did not. Now, shama in Hebrew means both listen. It also means to heed. Sometimes it means to obey. Mm-hmm. So our translators um, uh, use the word heed, which is appropriate. But I just want us to hear the word listen over and over again, because mm-hmm. that's what the Hebrew is, shama. And he didn't listen to them. Ka'asher diber Adonai. As God had said mm-hmm. would happen. Uh, and then the next time, after the next plague, pray, plague instead of Yahazek, it says Hachbed, his heart was, was uh, kabed, kabed. So now it's going to, we don't hear Kashe again. I just wanted to point out, we hear Chazak and Kabed. It was gripped and it was um, stubborn. And it alternates. Um, after each plague, Yechezak, I wrote down in my notes, Hachbed, Yechezak, Vayechabed, Vayechabed, Vayechezak, Vayechabed, Vayechezak, Hechbarati, Vayechezak, Vayechezak, Vayechabda. Anyway, so the text alternates these two words for the rest of the way. Hmm. I just was doing close reading and noted that. I wanted to point that out to you. So, um, now let's go to what Carol, the issue Carol was, was raising and see where our conversation goes. Um, so let's go back. Before, before you go there, I'm happy another, to wait. I just had another thought, which was, why did it need to be hardened all those times? What was going on with Pharaoh that God had to intervene again? Uh-huh. And... John? Uh, a thought, um, and it was kind of just flashing through, was when you lose your connection to the source of all there is, then you become narrow and can't listen. So the only thing that Pharaoh, and you see Pharaoh is supposed to be the keeper of the people, and he lost his whole perspective of I'm supposed to take care of the people. What are they going to drink? What are they going to do? No thought of that. And he lost all of that because I w- was feeling like, you know, that's, that's when you become stiffened. That's when you become stubborn. That's when you can't listen because you've lost that perspective of all that is. Even, even the ones that he's supposed to care for. Yeah, his people. He's supposed to care for them first. He's Pharaoh. That's mm-hmm. his duty. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. lost all of that. Well, thank you, Barb. So, uh, okay, so there's... I know, I forgot to call no, you no, again no, before. No, okay, but I have like 12 different things. Good, let's hear it. I'm only going to say one, I think. So the first was, and I don't know how it uh, relates, but... What's interesting to me is that when they would mummify people, okay, the only organ that they would keep in is the heart. They would leave the heart in when they mummified in Egypt? Right. Everything else, you know, brain got thrown away, some things they put in canopic jars, but the heart they kept. And, and how I would explain it on a tour is, you know, they could feel, I mean, they said, oh, well, the Egyptians are so smart, how did they not know the brain, blah, blah, blah. So, well, what do you feel? You feel the heart. You feel it. Feel it, you know, speeding up when you when you run, when you have a crush, blah blah blah. Anyway, so the whole hard thing is kind of interesting, and I, I keep thinking I want to delve into that more somewhere along the line. Um, the only other thing, which is not related, it was in verse nine um, on page three eighty two. Uh, could be. Yeah, I think so. Uh, where it says. Hold on, let's let people get there. That's one of the key verses in this parsha. Oh, okay. <coughs> Maybe we should wait till we get there. No, 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 no. It's good no, no, to bring. 
I don't have a linear way of approaching this, everybody. I'm counting on our collective wisdom to see where it guides us. Well, the only word, oops, sorry. The only word I'm picking out. What, what's wrong, Diane? We're going back to 382. 382, verse 9, I think is the word verse, Barb, about when Moses told this to the Israelites. Uh, yes. So okay. the only word I'm picking out from there is because it says kasha. Right. Kasha, and they're describing it in English as cruel bondage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were just talking about kasha and harsh. Harsh. harsh and, anyway, and related to the fact that they weren't listening to him either. But, That's right. So it, it is and it isn't. I don't know if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. So I want to... Uh, um, lev, heart, in biblical mindset, as best we can ascertain, is considered the seat of consciousness. Um, so when it says lev, sometimes English translations will say, will, based on the context, will call it, say the mind. So heart mind. Heart mind. So... Um, uh, that may have been a ge- more general understanding of the place of the heart in um, the ancient Near East, that the heart was both the seat of, you know, your soul, the seat of consciousness, the seat, you know. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, and I didn't know that about the Egyptian mummifying practice. Did you read that article about it, um, that... Uh, Back in the Second World War, or at the end of the Second World War, Chopin's heart was exhumed by the Polish and put into a special box. And I was just reading about that. It made me think. Sorry, I just—I <laughs> didn't read the whole article, but uh, yeah. Quick footnote. Yeah. Heartmath.com goes into this philosophy of the seat of consciousness is the heart, and that's the first um, beginning of. Being, not the brain. The heart is what electrifies and brings life to the. To Makes the, sense. It's the beating the. Uh, it, it's b- pumping the the energy everywhere, including to our brain. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, remember what you were going to say, because the other thing you said was about oh this verse. Let's just read verse nine, so that it's in our minds too. So, but when Moses told this to the Israelites, told what? The previous verses, we have to read them. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am yud heh vav I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, but I did not make myself known to them by my name yud heh vav I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. I have now heard the moaning of the Israelites because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the Israelite people, I am Yudhei I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians and deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisement. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I, Yudhei am your God who freed you from the labors of the Egyptians, Sivlot, the suffering labors. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I, yod heh That's the message. But 
when Moses told this to the Israelites, Velo Shamu El Moshe. They could not listen or hear Moses. There's that same word. Their spirits crushed by harsh labor. Kasha. Can I just say something about God here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> El Shaddai is a fixed thing. It's a fixed name. It is what it is. El Shaddai. Mm -hmm. Almighty God. And I was just thinking in the same way that when someone calls me Carol Fox, a very different person answers than Carol Fox Prescott or any of the other names I've ever gone by. Carol Fox is my name. I gave them that original name where I was younger, less worldly, less innocent. But, and I don't know, I, maybe, I could, maybe, maybe that's not even the oldest name. Maybe the oldest name is, is the one, so my, my metaphor doesn't work, but stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> my, my real name, is I am becoming what I am becoming. I have room. I am not stiff. I am not hard. I can grow with you. I can change with you. I forgot my promise. I, now I know I forgot it because I didn't think I could do it. Now I know that I can. Come with me. Thank you. Because my real name is I am becoming. Gail and Gary. Yes. Because there's a lot going on here that we normally don't know about at all, which is that every one of the plagues refers to an Egyptian god. Whoa. Yes, I was researching that. Right. And they have fixed roles, unlike the god of becoming. Oh, I am becoming. They have fixed mm. roles. Okay. But this is a catastrophe at a level of which we don't normally understand. Because yod hey vav is taking on, again and again, a different major god of Egypt, and just, Ref just refuting it. Yeah, just overcoming it completely. And so, and I mean, the first one, where he turns it, turns the blood, the water of the Nile to blood, is converting, the Nile itself is a god in Egypt, and converting its water to the life force of yod hey vav It's not just defeating, it's like taking it over. And the second one, the plague of frogs, the goddess of frogs, Hathet, I think is her name, um, is the protector in childbirth, which goes right back to the killing of the hmm. newborn males. But there's no longer protection for any Egyptian about to give birth. That's done. And, and each one of them has another connection. So I was thinking, Pharaoh is having this world, and he, of course, is a god. The last plague, his firstborn, the next god is. Right. And, and also the sun itself, which is identical. I mean, that's that. Right, Pharaoh is the sun. And you get darkness. That would be the darkness plague. That's right. mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's an utter catastrophe to the Egyptians. And God is saying, this whole is a context, saying, I am the one of us power. I am the only one of us power. Follow me. And it is catastrophic. So, of course, Pharaoh, whatever his 
going like this and getting more and more stuck in his place is what we're seeing. Yes, I've read about the, that, the, that each of those plagues is in fact uh, a, a specific um, refutation of each, an Egyptian uh, god's realm. Wow, I've mm-hmm. never heard that. That's, I want to see that chart. I'm going to Google it. Uh, Google right it. You'll find it a few, you, you'll find a variety of yeah. things about it. And it seems, seems like it has legs to me, that explanation. You know, because we don't understand why these ten plagues. We don't have that cultural context. You know, we read them, but we don't really understand them. Why frogs? Why? Yet, yet, one one would assume they had a a, a context to the to the listeners long ago that resonated in ways that we don't understand. And that is a really, um, a, a, that's a really I find compelling explanation. Uh, another explanation I was reading about, which is also interesting to me, is, and this is a more contemporary take, I think, is that each one of the plagues is life gone completely out of balance. Um, that it is in some way an ecological catastrophe, uh, which lends itself to some really powerful contemporary writing about about what happens when you have you know, I mean, blood is good, but blood out of place is death. You know, frogs are good, but frogs, you know, uh, um, uh, multiplying immeasurably is death, and so on. It's an interesting, even it, it so I was reading about that, but I want to stick with yours for now. Yes, Gail. I would just have one other thing, which is, in terms of the first one, I like the second one, um, is that we tend to slaves are nobody. <laughs> right. So it's their God taking on the great power and right. it. Right. Uh, so in that regard, uh, there are so many levels to read this story on. One level is a wish fulfillment fantasy of a group of disenfranchised semi-nomads who th- that their God could defeat the gods of Egypt and the Pharaoh. Uh, and on the other hand, and, it's definitely an and, and this story has outlasted the wonders of Egypt. So maybe there's a, a we assume there's a deeper truth than just a, uh, a bunch of uh, vagabonds uh, talking about how they overcame Pharaoh. Yes, Gail. And the God of I am becoming is so much more Mm-hmm. No, they're not at the so same one, level. One a different thing. understanding is being introduced here. Yeah, so one last thing, yeah, that's the source of all. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Gary. Yeah, I wanted to ask you for the Midrash on a particular passage here, but just before I do it, it, it seems that another and may be that God is removing himself from the stage. That um, Pharaoh is impelling himself towards this uh, and and that God is nothing more than the signpost which says 
this way or that way, and that maybe this is an indication of the function of the tort itself, which is as we go back to it each year, then know it more, that God becomes less important. Mm-hmm. Or more internalized. Not the God concept becomes less important, but the, the, the fixation on an external. Uh, but the question I wanted to ask you... Well, the, can you remember that question? Because I want to say something yeah, about that. Sure, please do. Please remember your question. Because in that case, God is the reality principle. Or some completely impersonal, yet true, uh, description of what happens, what of what happens in life, uh, and in that reading, an interesting thing that has been noted for a long time is that basically in the first five plagues, it says, "And Pharaoh's heart stiffened." Then, starting in the, I believe it's the sixth or seventh plague. I think it's the seventh but it might be the sixth, it instead says, and God stiffened Pharaoh's heart. So that story that then gets told is that Pharaoh's position of immovability, um, at some point he loses volition, and and then God hardens his heart for the latter plagues, as though he's careening towards self-destruction of his own making, but at some point the momentum of his demise overtakes any ability he might have to interrupt it. Where was that verse where God stiffens his heart? That starts in the sixth plague, Joan. So the language changes from and Pharaoh's heart stiffened to in the first plagues, that's how it's described. Whereas in the latter oh, yes. plagues, it's described as, and God stiffened Pharaoh's heart. So you're saying that as, as one loses agency, that the, that the concept of God seems to enter, but to me, what this is also saying is that the God concept is just what, uh, a kind of axiomatic declaration of what happens when we no longer have control over ourselves in this sense. You could say it that way, but it's not. It's not. A, but in the Jewish take, it's a morally grounded principle of reality. Right. Uh, it's not a neutral principle of reality. So if we do, if we are, if we refuse to listen for long enough and allow our hearts to become constricted and hard and stubborn, that eventually. We lose, we lose the facility to listen. But it comes back to that 13-year-old girl's question. Doesn't it? Why at this moment? Yes, it keeps God, coming back to that question. Because, you know, Ali, when he's beaten, somebody says to the reps, step in, stop this fight, you know? And so here we have a guy who's careening, as you say, who's down for the count, and now God starts whooping on him? Uh-huh. Yep, still sounds cruel, doesn't it? Uh, but what was the, what was the well, question the, you the, had? The question that, that's, that sounds so fascinating, the Israelites would not listen to me, how then should Pharaoh, he'd be a man of impeded speech. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is he referred to as a man of impeded speech earlier? Moses is the man oh, of impeded oh, speech. Oh, I'm sorry, of course. Uh, but so that's sorry. very important. Uh, when Moses told it, in verse 9, when Moses told this to the Israelites, they would not listen to Moses. Or they could not. We don't know. It's hard to translate. Their spirits crushed. 
by avodah kasha. Kasha is the same word as what happens to Pharaoh's heart, by hard labor, right? Um, so this quality of kasha, which later gets referred to in the Torah as stiff-necked, kshay orev. Now I'm going to show you a passage in Deuteronomy um, that uh, I've, I refer to frequently. Um, uh, let me find the page, and then I'll tell you where we're looking. Um, good. Turn to page 1237. That's Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we're on, we'll start with verse 12. which is on 1236. That's chapter 10 in Deuteronomy, verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Eternal, your God, demand of you? Only this, to revere the Yudhevavah, your God, to walk in divine paths, to love and to serve Yudhevavah, your God, with all your heart and soul, keeping Yudhevavah's commandments and laws, which I enjoin upon you today, for your good. Mark the heavens to their uttermost reaches belong to Yodhivav, your God, the earth and all that is on it. Yet it was to your ancestors that Yodhivav was drawn out of love for them, so that you, their descendants, were chosen from among all peoples, as is now the case. And here's the instruction. Cut away, therefore, the thickening about your hearts and stiffen your necks no more. Mm. Wow. Okay, that's the line. Cut away, therefore, the thickening about your hearts, and stiffen your necks no more. For the eternal Yudhevav, your God, is God supreme and Lord supreme, the great, mighty, awesome God. What makes him this way? Shows no, who shows no favor and takes no bribe, but upholds the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and befriends the stranger, providing food and clothing. You too must befriend the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So there's a direct line between the story we're reading and this passage in Deuteronomy of what we should know because we were there. What's the passage? What's the number? This is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 19 that we just read. I mean, this is one of my core, uh, I come back to this all the time as a student of Torah. Um, hey, John, it also, it's, it's like, it's so um, tightly circular, meaning it's like, here you are, I showed you the way, don't mess up, help the next guy, and just keep, keep sort of the, the love and trust and faith spinning but it's so it's so condensed here right it's like the whole it like is the whole story is right. the whole story yeah yeah that's true that's true so in verse 16 it says umaltemet orlat levavchem here orla is um when it's referring to circumcision it's a foreskin uh so it's the orla is the covering the sheath over the penis and so sometimes, this will get translated in older translations, circumcise your heart. 
uh, because the orla is the same word. And then in the case of Moses being um, of impeded speech, it says, uh, um, how then should Pharaoh heed me, a man of impeded speech? Arel Svatayim, same word, meaning I have a sheath over my lips. I just wanted to point that out to you. Uh, so, and your necks, lo takshu od, stiffen your necks no more. So cut away the sheath about your hearts and stiffen your necks no more. That'll keep you busy. And what will be the consequence of that? You will be godlike. What does it mean to be godlike? Show no favor, take no bribe, uphold the cause of the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger, befriend the stranger, provide food and clothing. That's our instructions. Um, so, Pharaoh is doing not that. Right? Because Pharaoh's heart is sheathed and and stricken. Yeah. This, about this question of why first Pharaoh's heart was hardened and then God hardened it more. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're like me. I have to constantly remind myself when we say, God, we're not talking about a puppet master. We're talking about something unknowable. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so it's not that um, Pharaoh... Uh, align himself with being ungodlike if we want to go back to this, you know, to be God. Okay, Pharaoh aligned himself with w thinking he was God. Right. Uh, but behaving in a way that was not according to the mm -hmm, mm -hmm. aspire to. And um, and you can go go along that way, but then he he did he just held on faster and faster and faster to the wrong behavior, if we could be judgmental. Mm -hmm. And um, so then it's... I think we have to be judgmental in this portion because there's a clear right and wrong. So, um, so, so then it's like uh, this unknowable thing, you know, not somebody saying, oh, I'm going to go in there and harden your heart by turning this whole button. It's like the more you behave in a certain way, the more that becomes your essence. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson in our um, House of Mourning prayer book, which I would run and get, but I'll, I don't want to waste the time, so I'll, I'll paraphrase. He says, be careful what you worship, yeah. even in secret. Mm -hmm. For what you worship, you are becoming. Right. Mm -hmm. Be careful what you worship, even in secret. For what you worship, you are becoming. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking of when so you said that. So that's the answer to why, why would God do that? You know, no, this is just the way of things. If you do it, you do it, and you become it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, thank you. Miriam? You may not explore it, but I'm curious if any of this language is the same language that's used in the Jonah story. Actually, um, oh, no, I was thinking of a Job. In Job, some of this language gets used again, but not in Jonah, yeah. Because when he goes to Nineveh, Nineveh, that they unharden their, it's like they open up. Ah. And Jonah hardens his heart. Mm -hmm. Yes, it doesn't use that language for Jonah, but. but I'm wondering, mm -hmm. if, I mean, basically he becomes depressed and he's like angry about it. He's angry, angry, angry. 
and lacks compassion and goes to Nineveh finally after being swallowed by the fish and saying to God, I give up, I'll do your will. And goes to Nineveh and tells the people there to repent and they do. <laughs> and he gets even angrier. And, uh, and God says to him, what's your problem? And says this question in Jonah, which is, there's a reason why we read Jonah on Yom Kippur. Is anger better for you, Jonah? God asked Jonah that question. These are my, and then God says, these are my creatures. Even if they don't know right from left, I have to have compassion on them. Um, which is a different version of God than like making Pharaoh a, um, an example to the world of how, of, you know, because that's what's happening in this, our story, is the, this Yudhei is clearly and explicitly upping the ante over and over on Pharaoh. The text says so in order to show the world how, you know, that Pharaoh is not, that Pharaoh is wrong. Pharaoh is not God, and Pharaoh cannot control uh, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, destroy the lives of these slaves. But then uh, so then in Nineveh, what? The leader reverses. Yes, the leader reverses. So some of you will remember this. The rabbis, even though Pharaoh in the, it looks like, it looks like in the story of the Torah, Pharaoh dies in the Red Sea, Right? That's, that would be our assumption. Pharaoh and all his horses and chariots were drowned in the sea. It says so. And so I was reading of Eva Zornberg. Uh, you know, Moses, in addition to be, being the son of uh, Amram and Yocheved, of the Hebrews, is also the grandson of Pharaoh in an odd way because his, Pharaoh's daughter adopts him. And Eva Zornberg was ta talking about uh, ways that uh, this is an Oedipal story and that... Uh, and that uh, Moses, um, you know, kills Pharaoh. But the rabbis aren't satisfied with that because the general understanding in Judaism is that everyone is redeemable mm. um, because they're made in God's image. So the midrash about Pharaoh that I don't, I can't remember the source, is that, but it's very old, is that when the sea closes, he gets swept up back onto the shore. Uh -huh. And in classic uh, mythic fashion, he wanders the earth in rags mm -hmm. for a long time. And arrives in Nineveh. <laughs> because, you know, what's a few centuries? This is not, <laughs> right? But Nineveh is the new Egypt, right? And by the time, you know, Nineveh, the, the seat of Babylonian um, rule is like the place. It's it it what you know Egypt was. It's the same thing, and in the midrash, the even though Pharaoh arrives in you know a, as a wanderer, the people recognize his royal nature. You know this is a classic fairy tale motif. They recognize his royal nature and they place him on the throne. And he gets another chance. And when he hears the call to repent from God's prophet Jonah, he does. And he saves his people. Isn't that beautiful? So funny, that story kept coming up every time he read something. Uh-huh. The 
Well, that's sort of how the imagination works, isn't it? It's like, uh, you, you know, we want Pharaoh to, on one hand, I want the bad guy to die. Uh, I do. I want a God of second chances. Right. A God of second chances. But on one level of my storytelling mind, I love it when there's a clean ending. You know, bad guy dead. Good. Right? You may not all feel that way, but I, I like stories like that. And, uh, and then there's this other part of my storytelling brain that loves this one. And it certainly goes to our passage of Deuteronomy about befriending the strength, be like God, not stiffening your heart, and goes to this, again, fundamental premise of Judaism, which is called teshuva, that we always have the capacity to repent and change our ways. And the only way to repent, because the Hebrew word in, for repent in, he, in Hebrew is teshuva, which means to is respond or return. So, like, when... Lahashiv, when someone asks you a question, you lahashiv, you respond. That's where the word tshuva comes from. So the only way to be able to do tshuva is to have the capacity to listen to what the question is, or you can't respond. Uh, Carol, Gary, um, Barb? When you first mentioned that we were going to talk about the question of why did God pardon Pharaoh's heart, um, my first thought was, what kind of question is that? <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm always stunned by that, when that question is asked, or all the other questions, like what kind of God, what kind of God, what kind of God, because what's happening here today is it's not one kind of God. I mean, it's again, it's I am becoming. It's it's such a, there's such a wide um, uh, realm of possibilities of what kind of God you get on any given day, any <laughs> given dilemma. Uh -huh. And if you don't make room for some of them, it's closing you down. It's not, it's not saying what kind of God is that, forget about that God. It, I don't get to construct God. I don't get to figure that out. I get to be a, a person in life. And I, I love that because that just, it, it just makes that question so irrelevant. What kind of God is that? It got every kind. <laughs> <laughs> every kind. I am becoming what I am becoming. Uh -huh. And a time for every purpose under heaven. Thank you. Gary. Well, it, this just seems to reveal to me perhaps you know, the tragic nature of the, uh, of the Jewish story in, in yet another way. That if I hear you correctly, you're saying that the rabbis have said that no, and a fundamental is no, no soul is irredeemable, and yet slaughter is required. And that hmm. the, Could you repeat that? Yeah. Well, that the, the, the she just couldn't hear you. Just say it again. The dichotomous nature of the two themes that 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 no soul is redeemable is irredeemable. It, I'm sorry, no soul is That's irredeemable, right. but That's that slaughter is inevitable and required, and that therefore the abortion of human potential is part of the story. It, it, it will never be erased, and that to me is yet. 
again, a reflection of the tragic aspect of the, of the Jewish story, the recognition of those poles, that they will never be. In, in Jesus, there's the, the idea of ultimate redemption and resolution. But in the Jewish story, no. Yes, which I'm grateful for, uh, because it seems to reflect. I'm grateful that the Jewish story lives with the ongoing ambiguity of right. history, because that's what's so. Do you follow what I'm saying? Um, I mean, the Jewish thought has its own messianic uh, ideas, and then it takes those messianic ideas as something to be um, left, left in God's hands, as it were, uh, for an unknown future. Not something. But anyhow, thank you. Uh, Barb. Um. Yeah, so let's see, 12, I guess, where he talks about, where Moses says, you know, how they going to listen to me? I have this impeded speech, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm, in one, on the one hand, I'm kind of surprised that the 13 doesn't somehow, like somehow there hasn't been a response to him saying, I have impeded speech. Like, mm-hmm. I, I expect that God should have said, well, <laughs> yes, you have this, but, or something. Or, or like maybe the Midrash can say something about why he chose Moses among other reasons and the fact that he had impeded speech. He could have chosen other people. I mean, did he choose someone who had impeded speech because it would make it more difficult in a good way sort of for Pharaoh and for the Israelites to really pay attention and listen? That makes any sense to them. Moses is being a man of impeded speech is an amazing aspect of this story. Like, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, in this, ver- earlier, Moses is uh, at the burning bush when um, Moses is getting his instructions. Uh, this, is on, this is chapter 4, verse 10. Um, that's on page 354 chapter 4 verse 10 page 354 but Moses said to the eternal to yod please oh my lord I have never been a man of words lo ish dvarim anochi Gam mitmol, gam mishilshom, ever. Gam meaz daberchelav, not even now when you're speaking to me. Ki kevad pe u kevad lashon anochi. Kevad, kavod, kaved. I am heavy of tongue and heavy of lips. Um, and then. Look what God says. The Eternal said to him, Who gives human speech? Who makes them dumb or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, yod Now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and will instruct you what to say. Hmm? So it's actually addressed there. Yeah. It's addressed here, too. And then, well, I just, I like this part because God's losing 
God's temper. <laughs> right. Because this isn't the first time. Mo- Who, what, what, what do I have to do to get through to you? So think of all the ways that the word of God is impeded by all the humans in this story. The word of God is that let my people go. That's the word of God. So that they might worship and serve me, life unfolding. That's the word of God. When Moses says to God at the burning bush, what is your name? And God says, I will be what I will be. Then God says, and you will bring those people back and worship me here at this mountain. Right? God, the, 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 um, the, the universe is like cracking open here through our, uh, our uh, fog, through our, our nightmare of self-imposed constriction and density. and density and heaviness and stiffness and gripness and hardness. And it's cracking through. And Moses says, oh, I can't. And, the, and then the Pharaoh says, no way. And then the children of Israel say, they can't listen. No one, who can listen? Who's going to listen? This is the dramatic tension of the story, and one one of the dramatic tensions of the story. Who's going to listen? What's uh, Leonard Cohen's quote about, that's how the light gets in? Prepare your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. There's a crack. Prepare your own perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. No, forget your perfect offering. That's right. Forget your perfect offering. Uh, So it's forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. A broken heart. I mean, Judaism talks all the time, as do other traditions, about the broken heart is what opens you up to God's presence. Um, so sometimes if you're lucky, your heart gets massaged and softened up. But, if you're, but sometimes, if you know, I can say this about myself, if I've been so completely attached to wanting life to be the outcome I want it to be, that my heart has to be broken in order for my, me to be humbled and recognize the light pouring in that I'm not in control of. Once again, we're, we're there with the... And think about a broken heart. I'm just thinking about it. Broken implies there was some hard solidity to it. you know, um, And if it breaks, that implies that it had gotten hard. I never thought about it quite that way. But hard in terms of, not necessarily evil, but hard in terms of us holding it in a certain place because, and protecting it because we want things to be this way. Perfect. Perfect. The way we think they should be and what, and then that doesn't work either. We've lost the ability to listen to what's coming next. Because we are trying to be God and control the future. Uh, Joan? Um, the th- uh, what was coming through was... I'll come back to it. Okay. But the word tragic is important here. 
because there's a tragic element to this. The tragedy is that life doesn't work out the way we wanted it to. You know, and of course, if we were all really enlightened, we'd all be cool with that, right? But no, I don't buy it. I think it's an inherent tragedy of, of our ability to dream and imagine futures. And isn't he saying about, excuse me, but with this Moses speech thing, isn't God saying, check glib facility at the door? Pardon me? You can check glib facility yeah, at the door. right. Be very careful. I don't need to be you. I don't need you to be a smooth talker. Uh huh. Very good. Very good. I like that a lot. Who else had a hand up? Michael J. Fox said, first thing to go is vanity." Uh huh. As he Mm -hmm. suffered from Parkinson's, having been this golden boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The word that was uh, was expectation. That there's a lot of ways for my heart to be broken. But often my heart is broken when an expectation or what you're saying, idea of how I think it should be, is shown to be just my expectation because things don't end up that way and that makes you humble as well. That's right. It doesn't have to be the great broken heart over a lost love or what, you know. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would call the true grief, right? Right, true grief. Because... Could be a lot of superficial griefs that are broken Just my own, again, just... My experience, I'm sure, is reflected in some of yours, that, that this, this wisdom... Pete Seeker, the, he said it perfectly for me. Um, on a recording he did back in, I guess, gosh, it's a long time ago, right, in the 80s? His 100th birthday is this year, is in 2019. He was born in 1919. So Pete's my, one of my heroes, one of my main heroes. And I have a recording of him... Uh, teaching the song Somos el Barco, We Are the Boat, We Are the Sea, I Sail in You, You Sail in Me, a beautiful song. And he teaches the whole, it's a live recording, teaches the whole audience the song, and I'm sure he had used this line many times, but I don't care. Um, and he says to everyone, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> the only problem is, once you learn the song, it's almost over. <laughs> and then he says, you'll find it's like that with life, too. <laughs> And then he adds, but with music, there's a benefit, because you could just sing it again. (laughs) True, (laughs) true. But you'll find it's that way with life, too. So that's kind of that that tragic quality of the growing awareness that we're not in control, but that there's a greater purpose that we want to devote ourselves to. And again, that comes to the word eved, in Hebrew. Eved means a slave, and it means a servant, and it means a um, worshiper. means all those things. So that the only way to translate it is we were servants to Pharaoh, and God says to Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go that they might serve me and worship me. It's the same, because Pharaoh's a god, it's the same word in Hebrew. Um, So, servitude is not a debased condition. It just depends on on how how it's being enforced and who's, who, how you understand it. But that, now, now we got to get right to Dylan. Right. (laughs) But it sets up that word, you know, the 
whole story is embedded yes. in that one word as well. Right? Also in that one yeah. word, who are you going to serve? Right. You got to serve somebody. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry, just, sorry, no, 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 it's fine, is, Gary. It's is, great. Is there any midrash that uh, suggests that on some level God saw Pharaoh as an equal who needed to be destroyed? Not as an equal, I don't think, but as a pretender and therefore competitor to the true nature of reality. Yeah. Yeah, that a human being who thinks they're God, uh, God's going to make an example out of them, um, and does. But is there any recognition that, that, that in an Idi Amin and in a German dictator, that there is some quality of greatness that is greater than the normal man, that he has a higher capacity? Uh, no. No, okay. No, not in Judaism. Uh, what we see in this pharaoh motif are people who think they're more than they are, which are creatures. And that's all, again, in the DNA of Judaism, because on the, the instructions for Shabbat are that you take a day when you, your, 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 your family, your maidservants and men servants, the slaves in your household, your, your, your animals, they all get a day off. And you are not Lord and Master on the Sabbath because God created the world. And that is supposed to be, that is supposed to be the regular reminder to keep us from unchecked tyranny. Sabbath. That's, that's just, that's the DNA of Judaism. This is the message. From unchecked what? Tyranny. I mean, yeah, if you're the boss six days a week, the seventh day you remember that you're not. You're just like everybody else. Yeah. So, so your question makes me think about how hardness can look like strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that fierce, hard, constrained thing can look like strength. Mm -hmm. But then we're told, really, the strength is in the softness. Cut away the thickening about your heart mm -hmm. yeah. and stiffen your necks no more. And then you'll be like God. Wow. Not like Pharaoh. Not like Pharaoh. I'll point, I'm going to point you to another couple of examples, but you'll forgive me, but uh, Donald Trump is a caricature yeah. of this. Totally. Right? No a, forgiveness necessary. Uh, I just, I don't want to, I don't, I, you've got, we have, we have, a, we have like an, a, an archetype, a caricature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They of, are shirkers. Uh, right, of someone who thinks that the projection of strength is pow is is what makes you a a, a powerful person, um, and yes, and dictators throughout history, petty and other and and massive, it's always the same phenomenon. Yeah, but here's the, the twist of that. Yeah, is that Donald Trump understands something about the human condition that many of us don't, including many of us who think we have a modicum of insight. This guy understands something about how to tap into the, 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 the most elemental aspect of human nature that I respect. Um, because well, I lack it. Yeah, well, I would say all demagogues right. know how to do that. And, all the, and so we can't be chumps, yeah. right? Part I, of, I agree with that. Well, one of, the things that, one of the things that I've had to learn growing up in an unbelievably relative to the general human history 
protected, privileged, beautiful upbringing that I had uh, that allowed me to maintain the fantasy that Uh if we just love each other enough, everything will be okay. That's not what the Torah teaches. The Torah teaches that we're born with a dual nature Mm -hmm. and that our job is to learn how to use our higher nature Mm -hmm. to manage and channel our our base nature, Mm -hmm. right? And so I must say that uh, if I'm at fault in any way, it's in my lack of, uh, it's in my slow, my, my too slow awakening about the real nature of, of humanity, which again, when I look at it in hindsight, mm-hmm. I was born right after the Second World War, and I was still raised in the illusion of peace and love and everything will be okay. It's like, it's amazing to me. Uh, and I'm trying to correct correct that without giving up this passage in Deuteronomy. Mm. What does God want from you? Mm. Stiffen your necks no more. Cut off the thickening about your heart. Befriend the stranger, and uh, love the <laughs> right. Do that without ignoring the rest of them. Mm-hmm. There have been people to say, uh, the dual nature thing. I like I like that whole concept because. There have been other people, Barack Obama maybe, Cory Booker, who can tap into the part of the human that is, is loving, that cares about other people, that wants the good for the planet. So it's not, I mean, Donald Trump taps into that evil. I don't grass. understand let's, that metaphor at all. Let's, well, let's, let's, I just want to go on a, that's why I said I apologize for bringing up Donald Trump because it makes yeah. us, our eyes cross. Okay, so uh, what I want to say is that let's just, let's just, I want to say power corrupts, power corrupts the good of heart and the evil of heart, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And that is true too. Um, And so we have this inner struggle that each of us plays out in our own lives that some people unfortunately uh, play out on other people's lives. Uh, Diane? Well, I just want to echo what you were saying. We don't have to go far to find this. I mean, I don't have to go far. It's right here. Right. Every time I feel righteous indignation, oh, it's so delicious. Oh, it's, but, yes. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I have gained just a, a tiny bit of wisdom to know, like, please don't act on that. Just go to sleep and see. Yeah, breathe for 90 seconds, whatever you need to do. So, again, let Judaism be a guide to us. Jewish history, the fact that we're still here to bear witness as the non-emperors, is that emperors, tyrants, (coughs) egomaniacs, rise and fall. And there's another bigger game we want to play in our lives than just the satisfaction of our own self-righteousness or our own ego desires. Right, and making them the other, I think we do ourselves an injustice. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, those are egomaniacs, those are the people. They just maybe have to gather, they're just maybe a little stronger, you know, in, in the evil ways than I am or than, we all, than each of us are. And this you know, is, that's no, the heart and... the other, they're all... That's one of the heart and souls of Hasidic teaching. Baal Shem Tov would say, what do you do when you encounter, and this won't sound, this won't be news to you either, what do you do when you encounter somebody who you, who you can't stand? 
they are giving you an opportunity to search within yourself for those qualities and expunge them. Uh, you know, it's like the work is in here. You know, now that doesn't mean the work isn't also out there, but uh, as a spiritual lesson, we want to serve, I am becoming that which I am becoming, then it's a constant shedding of ego, or in the traditional Hasidic language, a constant um, uh, eradication of self uh, that we want to do in order to accomplish that. Gail? I was just thinking that whenever I get newsletters from different environmental organizations, what seems to work best is when they go into an area and find a way to find common ground with the ranchers or you know whoever it may be, it doesn't matter, but find some kind of common ground and work from there with, mm -hmm. in collaboration. And mm -hmm. that's what gets long-lasting change. Yes, yes, and it's not sexy. Fighting doesn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. It just yep. doesn't. Yeah. Barb, and then Joan. But I think, unfortunately, sometimes we have to have a tyrant to shake us from our complacency. I mean, we're about to get a House of Representatives that is the most diverse house ever. I, Let's I, see I what happens. Sometimes if our voting would have been not, not as strong, not as committed, if, mm -hmm. if, if there wasn't this thing. That's right. What galvanizes us to action? That's right. That's a, good, that's a good question, right? Very good. Very good. Joan? The brink is what motivates The us. brink, right, right. Uh, when we see the waterfall, uh, we should have uh, called ahead, <laughs> yeah. right? But there, there's, one, there's one sentence that happened in our conversation when you responded to something, Rabbi Jonathan, and said, yeah, but there is a right and there is a wrong. Now that's a pretty powerful statement because mm -hmm. I believe that. That, oh yeah, we gotta be you know, accepting and everything's all manifestations of the one and there is a right uh -huh. and there is a wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's a, mm, mm -hmm. puts me in a funny place. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Keep wrestling with it. That's the holy job of our lives mm -hmm. is to encounter every situation and try to figure out what the right thing to do is in this situation. If we don't do that, if we're not moral agents, then we're not fulfilling our, our potential as people of conscience. I mean, there yeah. are times where you just have to look across the fence and say, no. That's right. That's right. We don't have a problem doing that with kids. Uh, so what are we so scared of? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, anyhow. But I do want to say that for me, the right and wrong are not abstract, they're situational. There are principles of justice that we carry within us. It says, it says in Deuteronomy, it's like stiffen your hearts no more, cut away the thickening about your heart, love this, uh, around, you know, stiffen, stiffen your neck no more, be like God who takes no bribe and shows no favor. Um, the principles are right there. Mm -hmm takes care of the widow and the orphan, and befriends the stranger, giving them food and clothing. Like, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so based on that value system, I can choose. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that from a, for those of us who've, who've um, embarked on particular sort of mystical traditions, there's another level of reality where everything is perfect, all is well and as it should be, 
and life is unfolding in exactly the way it needs to be, etc., etc. And that's true too. And then you remember that, that's Shabbat. Right? You don't try to change the world on Shabbat. You try to remember that God made this world, looked at it and said, this is very good and blessed it. And then you just participate without judgment in the unfolding. And then come the days of the week when it's our job to be God's partners and keep the world being a good place. Right? They don't have to contradict each other. Uh, uh, they coexist. Well, uh, yes, Rob. So, um, going back to the uh, Pharaoh and the um, plagues. So, is is are there ten plagues because Pharaoh is being given so many chances, and it's like, well, we we know we know there's something good in there. We're going to give you one more shot, and when you blow it, one more shot, like which is what he does with the Jews as well. I'm just wondering, is that that would be a nice telling. The text itself says, uh, let's see, um, in, um, here, here, look back in last week's portion uh, at the burning bush. Um, look at page Go-and-assemble-the-elders-of-Israel,God-says-to-Moses,and-say-to-them,Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh,the-God-of-your-ancestors,the-God-of-Abraham,Isaac,and-Jacob,has-appeared-to-me,
Exactly. Huh? Why is that not reparation? Yeah, what about reparation? Says your neighbor gives it to you. I don't know. I never oh. thought about that before. I think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> you borrow from your neighbor. Yeah, right. You're gonna pay. It's like you're gonna pay him back real soon. I'll be right back. Yeah. That's right. That's what it says. Can I borrow your necklace? We're gonna go have a big party in the wilderness. Yeah. See you later. Suckers. Suckers. That's right. There is also in this story a a um, uh, a revenge uh, a revenge, but reparation. It is an ambiguous story. And it gets worse when they cross the Jordan. Oh, oh, th- let's not go there right now. Yeah, but just you know, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. They cross. The, they cross the red. They cross the Jordan River and they dispossess the. The people's there, right? That's right. They they take what's theirs. Yeah. Is there a meaning to the number three? Uh, three. I don't know what the meaning of the number three is, except it gets used all the time. It does. What do you think? Three days. Three, three. It's a lot of three-day things. I mean, Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Right. So it's like through the whole. Okay. Let's talk about. Let's just. Let's just. So, Jesus. The stories about Jesus are written by Jews in the first century. They're Jews. Their entire reference point is the Bible. So when Jesus goes for the wilderness 40 days, that's the Jewish writers wanting to show that they believe Jesus is in the lineage of Elijah and Moses, who also go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 days. And then he meets Moses and Elijah when he's being tempted in the wilderness. So... Yes, so any motifs you read about in the Gospels are already drawing intensively from the Torah. They're not a separate body of work. Right? The best way I've learned to describe the, the Gospels is they are a midrash, an interpretive rendi- rendering of the, 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 the Bible by Jews who are telling this story, this story about this guy named Jesus. Remember, Jesus, Yeshua, means salvation, who is come to save us from, and, it's, and then it eventually it breaks off from Judaism and they go separate ways. But the stuff itself is all in, just right. in, intimately and irre, irreducibly connected to uh, its source material. Because these were Jews, this was our literature, and they were applying it to the story of Jesus as they were starting to, you know, create the myth of his, his life. Um, okay. Oh, I just... Where it breaks, you know, to me, and I was thinking of this after our last session, you know, that, that the Gospels are to me the, the, the sixth book of, of, of the Torah, to, to me personally. And where we go on this magical Sisyphean task of repeating the study of the Torah, eventually you get, and, and Bach, the opening of the B minor mass, Curie, Laison, Curie, Laison, you know, God have mercy. And to me, that, those Jews were saying, you guys did the hard work. And we've absorbed it, and our answer is God have mercy. Um, yeah, I don't agree with you, Gary. 
Okay. I don't think you got the historical uh, picture full enough. Okay. Um, it seems that the early Jewish Christians and the early Jews split over the question of um, observance of Jewish laws. Uh, the, Paul and his followers felt that they could get that that uh, they could spread this. Jews were actively proselytizing throughout the Roman Empire in this period, and there were it. it so this is another conversation. Okay, sorry. Uh, but yes, that is a Christian justif that is a Christian explanation that the Torah is the God of law and um, the um, uh, and now we just need God's mercy. That's the Christian take. However, the internal Jewish take is that after the golden calf, God goes up to Moses and says, forgive these people. And God says, I have forgiven them as you have asked. And that becomes the phrase of the Yom Kippur liturgy. So forgiveness and mercy are as present in Judaism as they are in Christianity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a Christian canard mm -hmm. to show why it's special and why we've been superseded. Well, it is, and there's nothing that I have found in, in the Gospels that says Jesus died for your sins. And I've had that argument with the, with the Christian church mm -hmm. for a while. To me, having been raised in fundamentalist Christian beliefs, I guess I look at it now and I just say, you know, he, he was a rabbi. He was a good guy, he was a rabbi. He knew some truth and he tried to share it. Um, it's that whole notion of he died for, for our sins. You just said God already forgave them. Forgave people. Why did? Why would somebody need to die? Um, well, so and it's yeah, it is a, we had a fantastic like two year class with Matthew, <laughs> yes. uh, where we got to hash all this over. But what one of the things I came away from that was that uh, Christian the early Christians were Jews who wanted to show why they were distinctive from other Jews, and so they set up the Pharisees as straw men, the Jews as the straw men for what we're not, right? And as unfortunately, not fortunately, but as Christianity then eventually gained imperial power, they got to enforce that. And it became it be, the, 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 uh, the sort of degraded condition of the Jewish people because they don't accept the mercy of Christianity, which is kind of ironic when you think about it, uh, that those who preach mercy would have to have a bad guy to show them how right they were and how wrong they were. And that leads us into all kinds yeah, yeah. Of, of kind of culturally <clears throat> embedded ideas about what Christianity is and what Judaism is that cloud our ability to interpret them in a nuanced way. Mm -hmm. That's what I have to say about it. Fair enough. Thank you. Um, okay, thank you. Ah, the little roads and <laughs> trails. Um, but we're still faced with a story that has these glorious, elevated messages in it, and also this, this very, very sort of gritty stuff about, now you go ask your neighbors for their stuff, <laughs> They'll give it to you. We'll just go out into the wilderness for three days. Later, if you read the story carefully, Moses, at, when, God, when Pharaoh finally relents after the, what, fifth or sixth or seventh plague, he says, okay, go, go. And, uh, uh, and then Moses changes the bid. 
and says, oh, we'll go, but we also have to take not just the men, but the women and children. Pharaoh says, get out of here. That's not what you said. And then the next time, after the next plague, Pharaoh, uh, God, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go do this. Well, but we need to have your animal, we have to do it far away. We can't just do it close by because us sacrificing cattle and, uh, and lambs is an abomination to the Egyptians and they won't, uh, ab- they'll hate us if we do that in their sight. But that's our practice. And he changes the story again, saying, and, we're, and then finally, so in terms of a negotiation, everything God tells Moses to do, to say to Pharaoh, is like a negotiating position and keeps moving the goal line. You know what I mean? Uh, if that, I guess, if that bothers you, that's okay. It doesn't actually bother me because I'm really into the story. Um, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm, I'm, uh, I guess, I guess my, my kind of, at this point, answer to the questions of why did, why did this happen? Why is it like this and why is it like that? And couldn't it have been more moral and ethical and upstanding? And is, uh, that's not how the world works. You know, that's not how you, that's not how it goes down. And how do you, so I don't have a problem with a story with a lot of gray in it. But what do you think, Gail? Right. And that's how the Torah portrays us as being made of mixed nature. Right. And that's going to be inevitably part of any story they tell about us. Right. So then, when when it's when this all seems to be um, God's will, God's instructions, what do we do with God? Mm-hmm. That's more problematic. Yeah. <laughs> right. So one thing that makes me think about is. Um, People with power don't give up their power easily. And I think there's a recognition of that in this, that they're not just going to say, sure, take stuff, you know. Carry your reparations. We're sorry. We're sorry we treated you and crushed your spirits for the last uh, several generations. (laughs) That when we're looking for our liberation, I think we have to understand that, that the people who oppress and have power aren't giving it up mm-hmm. so easily. Anyway, just that's what I think too. Uh, that when uh, we have this passage, we discussed. Um, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. So what I'm going to say is, um, it'll come. It'll come back to me. But uh, no, no one's going to give up their power willingly and graciously, especially if they've been hardening their heart for a long time. Yeah. Um, oh, it's when the midwives are talking to oh, right. Pharaoh. It's like you have to, they have to deceive That's Pharaoh. Right. And so I would argue that these initial positions are attempts to just make up an inroad. Hey, let the slaves have a day off. They want to have a barbecue, <laughs> you know, in the wilderness. We'll be back in three days. Right? I can really understand it in those terms. Uh, that just laying the message on, sort of like, hey, 
you're done being the pharaoh. These people are not your people. I'm taking them. Like, you know, even with the modified message, uh, Pharaoh calls them shirkers, says you lazy bums, and takes away, and then it's a mess. This is just a complete mess. Mm -hmm. So if God is the reality principle, then then you got to figure out how to make tiny incremental, perhaps, uh, uh, chipping away at the power structure as you try to move forward. I think that's a legitimate way of describing what goes on in this story. Joan, did you want to say something? No, oh, I was okay. just uh, referring to Shirker before because that's what reminds me of Donald Trump. Oh, boy. <laughs> what a great line this is. Let's look at it. It's on, um, we're still in last week's portion, uh, but uh, uh, 357. Let's read it. Chapter 5. Afterward, so they've, Moses and Aaron have done what uh, God said, Talk to the elders, and the people, look at verse 31, and the people were convinced when they heard that the Eternal had taken note of the Israelites and that God had seen their plight, they bowed low in homage. So the first message, it's received. But then listen to what happens. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yotevave, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may celebrate a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, <coughs> Who is Yotevave, that I should listen to him, Eshma Bekolo, heed him, and let Israel go? I do not know Yotevave, nor will I let Israel go. Mm-hmm. Okay, that didn't work. maybe God knew that Mm -hmm. maybe God knew that the only way that Pharaoh would relinquish control is if his if his uh, if if is his life laden tatters around him you know I am Egypt now we think about the innocent Egyptians but uh, this is important uh, but Pharaoh is Egypt Mm -hmm. then this conflict they are collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Now, this made the rabbis very uncomfortable, as some of you will know, because that's why we take the ten drops out of our wine cup on Passover. That's a rabbinic way of acknowledging the suffering of the Egyptians during the plagues. You know that custom, everybody? Yes. Um, when, we, we, when we read the plagues in the Haggadah, we take ten drops out from our cup of joy. One drop for each for the suffering of the innocent Egyptians. When, when is that date from, roughly? Uh, it's part of the original. It must date from the um, 2,000 years ago when the Passover Seder is being constructed. I'm pretty sure it does. Um, because there's also the famous Midrash about after they cross the Red Sea, the Israelites are dancing and singing. And so the angels, the ministering angels, also break out into dancing and singing and cheering in the heavenly court. And God says to them, be quiet. My children are dancing and singing. I can understand why. They just escaped with their lives. But you don't get to dance and sing because my children are drowning in the sea. Right. So the rabbis are aware of the same conflicts uh, that that we're aware of. Um, And I'm glad. 
I'm glad we have those teachings to kind of build off of. At the same time, in the biblical telling, Pharaoh is Egypt. The individual Egyptians do not have uh, autonomy or agency. Uh, Pharaoh's the god of Egypt. Pharaoh is Egypt. And the text doesn't refer, even though the English will say the Egyptians, the Egyptians, it always says Mitzrayim in Hebrew, <laughs> Egypt. Um, so Pharaoh is Egypt, and Egypt is going to you know, have to crumble before Pharaoh uh, is willing to let the people go. That's the nature. I mean, and you've heard me say this before, but Saddam Hussein is, not gonna, is gonna be found in a hole in the ground. Muammar Gaddafi is found in a culvert under a highway, right? Hitler is in his bunker, right? This is some people, some tyrants, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this appears to be what is going to happen and the only way that Pharaoh is going to let go of his grip. That appears to be what God is predicting, but also maybe appears to be what God understands. So one of the amazing things about Torah is all the Israelites who are described as individuals as opposed to Mitzrayim. Right. So again, I don't want to sugarcoat this, but in terms of the fundamental principles of Judaism, of the Torah, each, even the stranger, the widow, the widower, the 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 uh, the, the the widower, the orphan, the widow, the orphan, um, each of them has as much inherent and incalculable worth as any king. Right, uh, and so that means that makes for me Judaism a kind of proto-humanism. Um, where the human being has incalculable value because we are a, made in the divine image. Mm -hmm. And that means, so yes, I would say that is, the, that is the, one of the messages of Judaism against the monolith of empire. Mm -hmm. Yes, M Miriam. Well, from what we were reading the last several, for about a month now, is that Joseph set up Joseph set it up that the Egyptians were de lost their property and their autonomy to, to Pharaoh. Yes. So that when we just looking at reflecting on the story there is who was around Pharaoh that uh, he forgot about Joseph. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's no one there to to have him even engage with. Joseph, by being complicit in giving absolute power to Pharaoh, mm -hmm. may be one of the reasons why the children of Israel suffered so much in slavery after Joseph died. And yet, here we go into that big, big picture again, but if they hadn't suffered that much, they might never have forgotten, or they might have completely forgotten and never remembered their anguish as, uh, and called out to God and set you know, unleashed the power of human striving again for liberation into the world. So yeah, that's the big picture. It's like you got to go down and go up, da, da, da. and in the meantime, wherever we are on the Ferris wheel, we gotta, you know, we gotta be actors. And Barbara said we were kind of all complacent, going along 
spine. Mm -hmm. So those in charge, be battered as they are, we're sitting here pretty. We're now right. We are coming. There are there are two two midrashic streams. Essentially, a debate about what happened to the children of Israel in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And one is that they forgot mm -hmm. who they were. Uh, and that they became complacent. Uh, the other is that, to their glory, they always remembered who they were mm -hmm. and kept that spark alive, mm -hmm. despite. Which is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this, uh, the ten... <coughs> Plagues. Well, yeah, and the, 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 the ten drops like, of wine. You know, uh, it's so dangerous to, to make parallels between current stuff and this, but here's where I think the excoriation of story of Donald Trump misses something midrashic. Okay. Uh -huh. okay. Mr. Trump currently retains the favor of 85% of the Republican Party. There are millions and millions of people who voted for him. We're not dipping our fingers into that wine and asking about the humanity of those he, he still continues to represent, it seems to me. Well, that that's we our job. That. Yeah. We, we, but in the excoriation story, the humanity of those who continue to prop him up is lost, in my judgment. Or there's a danger of that being. We are in danger. Yes, we are in danger of becoming that which we resent so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. And the contrasting story is so if there's oppression, what is it we need to do to find our own power? And maybe that's not the time of, oh, mm -hmm. oh look at them, you know, they're just people too. Maybe there's maybe, a time for everything. Maybe there's a time of saying, excuse me, but we're taking our power now. Mm -hmm. you, you know? There yep. is a right and there Maybe is there right. is a time for each of those things, and that, but that the danger of choosing our, claiming our power is that we forget right. that there's right. a human being across from us. Nonetheless, the this sort of tepid position of I can't because I might hurt them uh, may be uh, part of what is wrong when we don't, you know, in the words of Ecclesiastes, when we don't recognize that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to do a couple things before we run out of time. Thank you. Um, let's keep reading what we were reading. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're on uh, page 357, um, and they want to go out into the wilderness, lest our God strike us with pestilence or sword. They're trying to speak to, hey, you know, our God is going to kill us too if we don't do this. We have a problem here, Pharaoh. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you distract the people from their tasks? Get back to work. And Pharaoh continued, the people of the land are already so numerous, and you would have them cease from their labors. And that same day, Pharaoh, no day off for you. That same day, Pharaoh charged the taskmasters and foremen of the people, saying, you shall no longer provide the people with straw for making bricks as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but impose upon them the same quota of bricks as they've been making heretofore. Do not reduce it, for they are shirkers. That is why they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men. Let them keep at it and not pay attention to deceitful promises. So the taskmasters and foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you any straw. You must go and get the straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but there shall be no decrease whatever in your work. 
So the people scattered throughout the land to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them, saying, you must complete the straw, the work assignment, same as each day as when you had straw. And so the foremen of the Israelites, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. Why, they were asked, did you not complete the prescribed amount of bricks, either yesterday as you did before? Why didn't you make your quota? So then the foremen of the Israelites came to Pharaoh and cried, why do you deal thus with your servants? No straw is issued to your servants, yet they demand of us, make bricks. Thus your servants are being beaten when the fault is with your own people. He replied, you are shirkers, shirkers. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the eternal. Be off now to your work. No straw shall be issued to you, but you must produce your quota of bricks. So the taskmasters were... The taskmasters are Egyptian, but, but the foremen are Israelites. Oh, the foremen were... Um, mm -hmm. Now the foremen of the Israelites found themselves in trouble because of the orders that you must not reduce your daily quantity of bricks. And as they left Pharaoh's presence, they came upon Moses and Aaron standing in their path. And they said to them, Ah, make the eternal look upon you and punish you for making us loathsome to Pharaoh and his courtiers, putting a sword in their hands to slay us. Then Mo So they're just... Okay, they believed him before, but not now. Then Moses returned to the Eternal and said, Oh, my Lord, why did you bring harm upon this people? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt worse with this people, and still you have not delivered your people. Then the Eternal One said to Moses, You shall soon see what I will do to Pharaoh. He shall let them go because of a greater might. Indeed, because of a greater might, he shall drive them from his land. It's That's, a good movie, I tell you. It's a good movie, isn't it? Every dynamic of the dynamics of oppression, of revolution, of uh, the struggle for human dignity, it's all here. It's all here. Uh, I, there's something else I want to share with you before we close, but Miriam, what do you want to say? What is, it's the story. I mean, if you go out looking for straw, I would just continue. I'll just keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> I might come back. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have time to get your neighbor's jewelry. <laughs> 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 like, he basically said, yeah, go get straw. Well, go, 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 go. <sighs> wow. Okay, so now I want to share with you to close. Thank you. <laughs> to close, I want to get back to this idea of listening, that Pharaoh wouldn't listen, mm -hmm. and that the commandment is to listen to the voice of life unfolding. Um, in several places in the Torah, um, uh, there's something known as the, the diseases of the Egyptians, or the ailments of Egypt, are referenced. What are the ailments of Egypt? So look on page, um, let's see, in uh, B'Shalach 15, 26. Uh, look at page 443. They've just crossed the Red Sea. They have just crossed the Red Sea. They finished singing and dancing. Moses, I'm on actually page 442, verse 22. 
Moses caused Israel to set out from the Sea of Reeds. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They traveled three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, which means bitterness. But they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That's why it's named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Eternal. The Eternal showed him a piece of wood, or an etz, um, which our mystical tradition translates as the tree of life, not just a piece of wood. Um, he threw it into the water, and it made the water sweet. And there God made for them a rule. There they were put to the test, and God said, Im shamoa tishma lakol Adonai lahecha. If you listen, yes, listen to the voice of I am becoming your God, uh, doing what is upright in God's sight, giving ear to God's commandments and keeping God's laws, then I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians. For I, Yudhevave, can am your healer. Wow. This is a really interesting passage right after they crossed it. What are then, remember, it's not the disease of the Egyptians, it's uh, the diseases of Egypt. You know, it's Mitzrayim. There's no Mitzrim in, in here, it's Mitzrayim. So then there are other references to the diseases of the Egyptians in. Uh, uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, don't turn all this way. It says, when, if you do not follow the commandments, yod will strike you with the Egyptian Shekhin. Shekhin is one of the plagues uh, um, of boils and inflammation. Uh, from which you shall never recover, it says. Lahe which is, you won't be healed. But God is your healer. So this, this motif gets repeated in in the in the instructions for um, uh, for kings, how kings are supposed to behave, uh, kings over Israel in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, um, uh, your, "If you set a king over you, he shall not keep many horses or send people back to Egypt to add his to his sources, since Yudhevabi has warned you." You must know not go back that way again. What uh, chapter? Oh, that's Deuteronomy chapter seventeen, <coughs> verse uh, sixteen. That's the chapter you want to read, Joan. Definitely, it's the laws of kings because it says instead, when the king is seated on his royal throne, he shall make his own copy of the Torah, and it should remain with him all his life, so that he will not act haughtily toward his fellows. Okay, so it's very clear, Pharaoh, bad. <laughs> Pharaoh is not what life unfolding wants of us. And they call it, do not go back to Egypt again, and they call it the diseases mm. of the Egyptian. Mm. So the Egyptian disease, the mahala, the Egyptian sickness, mm -hmm. and it has something to do with not listening. listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has something to do with hardened hearts, with, hev with uh, gripped hearts, with calcified hearts, and not, therefore, losing the capacity to listen to what's unfolding 
before you, to the person who's presented themselves to you, because they are, they are only, if you're not listening, they are only a bit player in your drama. And their utility is only if they move your, your idea of what should happen forward. Uh, Isn't that what Miriam did? I mean, she hardened her heart to Rehuti. Miriam? Yeah, she hardened her heart to Moses' wife, right? Yes, Miriam hardens her heart to Moses, and then she gets the skin affliction, That's too. Right. Yes, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. That's so I, 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 I guess it's 2 o'clock. I want to say something personal um, that's been very present for me. So um, over New Year's was when my dad in 1979 and the beginning of 1980. So he, he committed suicide at the end of 1979. And this was not a great surprise to my family, but it was a tragedy. And you've heard me tell this story before, but these holidays were incredibly hard for me, even though for many years, I mean, it's almost 40 years ago. So for many years, I have just sort of, you know, like that's a long time ago. But this year, uh, I was complete, I had a, I just had to cry and cry and cry. And it was because my mother, who has now passed, was able to say to me, uh, we were sitting there at the kitchen table, and she said, look, I've tried to keep you safe. And uh, I, all of my boys, and I know I've been a pain in the ass, and, you know, I've kind of tried to clamp you down and... And it's just because I'm scared, she said. My mom had this moment of incredible lucidity. And she said, but now, you know, I'm a widow. There's, my life's been torn to pieces. And I get it right at this moment. I'm not in charge, right? I, I can't control your lives. And she said, so, and this is what she said to me. So, live your life with my blessing." And that was a moment of my, if I wrote my Torah, that's in my Torah, right? The moment where we're sitting there and my dad's dead and uh, my mother says, live your life with my blessing. It feels like, that feels very relevant to me, to, to what, what we're talking about because Um, and a lot of tears have to come along with that, right? Because life's not working out the way your little pharaoh wanted it to. And yet, what are your options? Double down and alienate all the people around you, right? Because you're resentful or you're, um, you know, all the reasons why your pain is too great or, or, or you push people away. Or let your stiffened heart be cracked open to what is, which is that we're not in charge. I am becoming what I am becoming. And we can participate by giving our blessing to the people we love to live their life. And then I will add that, um, you know, my mother, as you know, you've heard me say, was an extraordinary woman. And she not only gave me her blessing, but then she gave me her emotional and material support unstintingly after that to pursue my dreams, including, as I talked about when we were 
sitting Shiva, um, uh, giving the synagogue a lot of money when they couldn't afford me, mm. right? Because I had to family to raise, and mm-hmm. uh, we were just. But she knew that this was like, this was my calling, and it's like, I am just astounded, and I was bereft this holiday, and so I got through the other side of that, and realized, okay, now I have to live my life with my blessing, you know, and, uh, and give it to your children, and pay it forward. So I already sat them down for a daddy conversation, and I said, listen, this is what's been, because I've always, you know, I've always shared too much. So, uh, <laughs> um, here I am doing it again, right? Ah, so, uh, uh, and I said to them, listen, so that's what I can do in memory of your grandma, which is to pay it forward and say, live your life with my blessing. Mm. And I'll try to be the kind of parent to you that my mom was to me. Mm. Um, that's what it means to me to listen and to serve life unfolding, to serve the God of liberation, to serve, you know, that's, that's how it all fits together for me. And I, I thank you for letting me share that personal piece, mm. but I think it makes it even more real in that way. So that's what I have to say to you all, is Yashikawa. live your life with my blessing. Mm. And let's all say that to each other. That's just what Pharaoh was incapable mm. of saying. Mm-hmm. Because, because we could only be players in his drama mm-hmm. of power. Mm. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.